Section 6 of Tales of Space and Time by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Story of the Stone Age, Part 4. Ua the Lion. The old lion was in luck. The tribe had a certain pride in their ruler, but that was all the satisfaction they got out of it. He came the very night that Uglomi killed Ua the Cunning, and so it was they named him Ua. It was the old woman, the fireminder, who first named him Ua. A shower had lowered the fires to a glow and made the night dark. And as they conversed together and peered at one another in the darkness and wondered fearfully what Ua would do to them in their dreams, now that he was dead, they heard the mounting reverberations of the lion's roar close at hand. Then everything was still. They held their breath so that almost the only sounds were the patter of the rain and the hiss of the raindrops in the ashes. And then, after an interminable time, a crash and a shriek of fear and a growling. They sprang to their feet, shouting, screaming, running this way and that. But brands would not burn, and in a minute the victim was being dragged away through the ferns. It was Irk, the brother of Wau. So the lion came. The ferns were still wet from the rain the next night, and he came and took click with a red hair. That sufficed for two nights, and then in the dark between the moons he came three nights, night after night, and that though they had good fires. He was an old lion with stumpy teeth, but very silent and very cool. He knew of fires before. These were not the first of mankind that had ministered to his old age. The third night he came between the outer fire and the inner, and he leaped the flint heap and pulled down Urn, the son of Urk, who had seemed like to be the leader. That was a dreadful night, because they lit great flares of fern and ran screaming, and the lion missed his hold of Urn. By the glare of the fire they saw Urm struggle up and run a little way towards them and then the lion in two bounds had him down again. That was the last of Urm. So fear came, and all the delight of spring passed out of their lives. Already there were five gone out of the tribe, and four nights added three more to the number. Food-seeking became spiritless. No one knew who might go next, and all day the women toiled, and even the favorite women gathering litter and sticks for the night fires. And the hunters hunted ill. In the warm springtime, hunger came again as though it was still winter. The tribe might have moved, had they had a leader, but they had no leader, and no one knew where to go that the lion could not follow them. So the old lion waxed fat and thanked heaven for the kindly race of men. Two of the children and a youth died, while the moon was still new. And then it was the shriveled old fireminder first bethought herself in a dream of Udina and Uglomi, and of the way Ua had been slain. She had lived in fear of Ua all her days, and now she lived in fear of the lion. That Uglomi could kill Ua for good, Uglomi, whom she had seen born, was impossible. It was Ua still seeking his enemy. And then came the strange return of Uglomi, a wonderful animal 
seen galloping far across the river that suddenly changed into two animals, a horse and a man. Following this portent, the vision of Uglomi on the farther bank of the river, yes, it was all plain to her. Ewa was punishing them because they had not hunted down Uglomi and Eudena. The men came straggling back to the chances of the night while the sun was still golden in the sky. They were received with the story of Uglomi. She went across the river with them and showed them his spoor, hesitating on the farther bank. Sis the tracker knew the feet for Uglomi's. Uya needs Uglomi, cried the old woman, standing on the left of the bend, a gesticulating figure of flaring bronze in the sunset. Her cries were strange sounds, flitting to and fro on the borderland of speech. But this was the sense they carried. The lion needs Eudena. He comes night after night, seeking Eudena and Uglomi. When he cannot find Eudena and Uglomi, he grows angry and he kills. Hunt Eudena and Uglomi, Eudena, whom he pursued, and Uglomi, for whom he gave the death word. Hunt Eudena and Uglomi. She turned to the distant reed bed, as sometimes she had turned to Ewa in his life. Is it not so, my lord? she cried, and as if in answer, the tall reeds bowed before a breath of wind. Far into the twilight the sound of hacking was heard from the squatting places. It was the men sharpening their aspen spears against the hunting of the morrow. And in the night, early before the moon rose, the lion came and took the girl of Sis the tracker. In the morning, before the sun had risen, Sis the tracker and the lad Wau Howl, who now chipped flints, and one eye and bow, and the snail-eater, the two red-haired men, and cat's skin and snake, all the men that were left alive of the sons of Ewa, taking their ash spears and their smiting stones, and with throwing stones in the beast-paw bags, started forth upon the trail of Uglomi, through the hawthorn thickets, where Yah, the rhinoceros, and his brothers were feeding, and up the bare downland toward the beech woods. That night the fires burnt high and fierce, and the waxing moon set, and the lion left the crouching women and children in peace. And the next day, while the sun was still high, the hunters returned, all save one eye, who lay dead with a smashed skull at the foot of the ledge. When Aglomi came back that evening from stalking the horses, he found the vultures already busy over him, and with them the hunters brought Eudena, bruised and wounded but alive. That had been the strange order of the shriveled old woman, that she was to be brought alive. She is no kill for us. She is for Ewa the lion. Her hands were tied with thongs, as though she had been a man, and she came weary and drooping, her hair over her eyes and matted with blood. They walked about her, and ever and again the snail-eater, whose name she had given, would laugh and strike her with his ashen spear. And after he had struck her with his spear, he would look over his shoulder like one who had done an overbold deed. The others, too, looked over their shoulders ever and again, and all were in a hurry save Eudena. When the old woman saw them coming, she cried aloud with joy. 
They made Eudena cross the river with her hands tied, although the current was strong, and when she slipped, the old woman screamed, first with joy and then for fear she might be drowned. And when they had dragged Eudena to shore, she could not stand for a time, albeit they beat her sore. So they let her sit with her feet touching the water, and her eyes staring before her, and her face set, whatever they might do or say. All the tribe came down to the squatting place, even curly little Ha-Ha, who as yet could scarcely toddle, and stood staring at Eudena and the old woman, as now we would stare at some strange wounded beast and its captor. The old woman tore off the necklace of Ewa that was about Eudena's neck, and put it on herself. She had been the first to wear it. Then she tore at Eudena's hair, and took a spear from Sis, and beat her with all her might. And when she had vented the warmth of her heart on the girl, she looked closely into her face. Eudena's eyes were closed, and her features were set, and she lay so still that for a moment the old woman feared she was dead. And then her nostrils quivered. At that the old woman slapped her face, and laughed, and gave the spear to Sis again, and went a little way off from her, and began to talk and jeer at her after her manner. The old woman had more words than any in the tribe, and her talk was a terrible thing to hear. Sometimes she screamed and moaned incoherently, and sometimes the shape of her guttural cries were the mere phantom of thoughts. But she conveyed to Eudena, nevertheless, much of the things that were yet to come, of the lion and of the torment he would do her. And Aglomi, ha-ha, Aglomi is slain. And suddenly Eudena's eyes opened, and she sat up again, and her look met the old woman's fair and level. No, she said slowly, like one trying to remember, I did not see my Aglomi slain. I did not see my Aglomi slain. Tell her, cried the old woman, tell her he that killed him. Tell her how Aglomi was slain. She looked, and all the women and children there looked, from man to man. None answered her. They stood shamefaced. Tell her, said the old woman. The men looked at one another. Eudena's face suddenly lit. Tell her, she said, tell her, mighty men, tell her the killing of Aglomi. The old woman rose and struck her sharply across her mouth. We could not find Aglomi, said Sis the tracker slowly, who hunts too, kills none. Then Eudena's heart leaped. But she kept her face hard. It was as well, for the old woman looked at her sharply with murder in her eyes. Then the old woman turned her tongue upon the men, because they had feared to go on after Uglomi. She dreaded no one now. Ewa was slain. She scolded them, as one scolds children, and they scowled at her and began to accuse one another. Until suddenly Sis the tracker raised his voice and bade her hold her peace. And so when the sun was setting, they took Eudena and went, though their hearts sank within them, along the trail the old lion had made in the reeds. All the men went together. At one place was a group of alders, and here they hastily bound Eudena, where the lion might find her, when he came abroad in the twilight. And having done so, they hurried back until they were near the squatting place. 
Then they stopped. Sis stopped first and looked back again at the alders. They could see her head even from the squatting place, a little black shock under the limb of the larger tree. That was as well. All the women and children stood watching upon the crest of the mound, and the old woman stood and screamed for the lion to take her whom he sought, and counseled him on the torments he might do her. Eudena was very weary now, stunned by the beatings and fatigue and sorrow, and only the fear of the thing that was still to come upheld her. The sun was broad and blood-red between the stems of the distant chestnuts, and the west was all on fire. The evening breeze had died to a warm tranquility. The air was full of midge swarms. The fish in the river, hard by, would leap at times, and now and again a cockchaffer would drone through the air. Out of the corner of her eye, Eudena could see a part of the squatting knoll, and little figures standing and staring at her. And, a very little sound, but very clear, she could hear the beating of the firestones. Dark and near to her, and still, was the reed-fringed thicket of the lair. Presently the firestone ceased. She looked for the sun, and found he had gone, and overhead and growing brighter was the waxing moon. She looked towards the thicket of the lair, seeing shapes in the reeds, and then suddenly she began to wriggle and wriggle, weeping and calling upon Oglomi. But Oglomi was far away. When they saw her head moving with her struggles, they shouted together on the knoll, and she desisted and was still. And then came the bats, and the star that was like Oglomi crept out of its blue hiding place in the west. She called to it, but softly, because she feared the lion, and all through the coming of the twilight the thicket was still. So the dark crept upon Eudena, and the moon grew bright, and the shadows of things that had fled up the hillside and vanished with the evening came back to them short and black. And the dark shapes and the thickets of reeds and alders where the lion lay, gathered, a faint stir began there but nothing came out therefrom all through the gathering of the darkness. She looked at the squatting place and saw the fires glowing smoky red and the men and women going to and fro. The other way, over the river, a white mist was rising. Then far away came the whimpering of young foxes and the yell of a hyena. There were long gaps of aching and waiting, and after a long time, some animals splashed in the water and seemed to cross the river at the ford beyond the lair, but what animal it was she could not see. From the distant drinking pools she could hear the sounds of splashing and the noise of elephants, so still was the night. The earth was now a colorless arrangement of white reflections and impenetrable shadows under the blue sky. The silver moon was already spotted with filigree crests of the chestnut woods, and over the shadowy eastward hills the stars were multiplying. The knoll fires were bright red now, and black figures stood waiting against them. They were waiting for a scream. Surely it would be soon. The night suddenly seemed full of movement. She held her breath. Things were passing. One, two, three. 
subtly sneaking shadows. Jackals. Then a long waiting again. Then asserting itself as real at once over the sounds her mind had imagined, came a stir in the thicket, then a vigorous movement. There was a snap. The reeds crashed heavily, once, twice, thrice, and then everything was still, save a measured swishing. She heard a low, tremulous growl, and then everything was still again. The stillness lengthened. Would it never end? She held her breath. She bit her lips to stop screaming. Then something scuttled through the undergrowth. Her scream was involuntary. She did not hear the answering yell from the mound. Immediately, the thicket woke up to vigorous movement again. She saw the grass stems waving in the light of the setting moon, the alder swaying. She struggled violently, her last struggle, but nothing came towards her. A dozen monsters seemed rushing about in that little place for a couple of minutes, and then again came silence. The moon sank behind the distant chestnuts, and the night was dark. Then an odd sound, a sobbing panting that grew faster and fainter. Yet another silence, and then dim sounds, and the grunting of some animal. Everything was still again. Far away eastward an elephant trumpeted, and from the woods came a snarling and yelping that died away. In the long interval the moon shone out again between the stems of the trees on the ridge, sending two great bars of light and a bar of darkness across the reedy waste. Then came a steady rustling, a splash, and the reeds swayed wider and wider apart, and at last they broke open, cleft from root to crest. The end had come. She looked to see the thing that had come out of the reeds. For a moment it seemed certainly the great head and jaw she expected, and then it dwindled and changed. It was a dark low thing that remained silent, but it was not the lion. It became still. Everything became still. She peered. It was like some gigantic frog. Two limbs and a slanting body. Its head moved about searching the shadows. A rustle, and it moved clumsily with a sort of hopping, and as it moved it gave a low groan. The blood rushing through her veins was suddenly joy. Uglomi, she whispered. The thing stopped. Eudena, he answered softly, with pain in his voice, and peering into the alders. He moved again, and came out of the shadow beyond the reeds into the moonlight. All his body was covered with dark smears. She saw he was dragging his legs, and that he gripped his axe, the first axe, in one hand. In another moment he had struggled into the position of all fours, and had staggered over to her. The lion, he said, in a strange mingling of exaltation and anguish. Wahoo! I've slain a lion with my own hand, even as I slew the great bear. He moved to emphasize his words, and suddenly broke off with a faint cry. For a space he did not move. Let me free, whispered Eudena. He answered her no words, but pulled himself up from his crawling attitude by means of the alder stem and hacked at her thongs with the sharp edge of his axe. She heard him sob at each blow. He cut away the thongs about her chest and arms, and then his hand dropped. 
His chest struck against her shoulder, and he slipped down beside her and lay still. But the rest of her release was easy. Very hastily she freed herself. She made one step from the tree, and her head was spinning. Her last conscious movement was towards him. She reeled and dropped. Her hand fell upon his thigh. It was soft and wet and gave way under her pressure. He cried out at her touch and writhed and lay still again. Presently, a dark dog-like shape came very softly through the reeds, then stopped dead and stood sniffing, hesitated, and at last turned and slunk back into the shadows. Long was the time they remained there motionless, with the light of the setting moon shining upon their limbs. Very slowly, as slowly as the setting of the moon, did the shadow of the reeds towards the mound flow over them. Presently their legs were hidden, and Uglomi was but a bust of silver. The shadow crept back to his neck, crept over his face, and so at last the darkness of the night swallowed them up. The shadow became full of instinctive stirrings. There was a patter of feet and a faint snarling, the sound of a blow. There was little sleep that night for the women and children at the squatting place until they heard Udina scream. But the men were weary and sat dozing. When Udina screamed, they felt assured of their safety and hurried to get the nearest places to the fires. The old women laughed at the scream and laughed again because C, the little friend of Udina, whimpered. Directly the dawn came, they were all alert and looking towards the alders. They could see that Udina had been taken. They could not help feeling glad to think that Ewa was appeased. But across the minds of the men, the thought of Aglomi fell like a shadow. They could understand revenge, for the world was old in revenge, but they did not think of rescue. Suddenly, a hyena fled out of the thicket and came galloping across the reed space. His muslin paws were dark-stained. At the sight, all the men shouted and clutched at throwing spears and ran towards him, for no animal so pitiful a coward as the hyena by day. All men hated the hyena because he preyed on children and would come and bite when one was sleeping on the edge of the squatting place. And Cat's skin, throwing fair and straight, hit the brute shrewdly on the flank, whereat the whole tribe yelled with delight. At the noise they made, there came a flapping of wings from the lair of the lion, and three white-headed vultures rose slowly and circled and came to rest amidst the branches of an alder, overlooking the lair. "'Our lord is abroad,' said the old woman, pointing. The vultures have had their share of Udina. For a space they remained there, and then first one and another dropped back into the thicket. Then over the eastern woods, and touching the whole world to life and color, poured, with the exultation of a trumpet blast, the light of the rising sun. At the sight of him the children shouted together, and clapped their hands, and began to race off towards the water. Only a little sea lagged behind, and looked wonderingly at the alders, where she had seen the head of Udina overnight. But Ua, the old lion, was not abroad but at home, 
and he lay very still, a little on one side. He was not in his lair, but a little way from it, in a place of trampled grass. Under one eye was a little wound, the feeble little bite of the first axe. But all the ground beneath his chest was ruddy brown, with a vivid streak, and in his chest was a little hole that had been made by a glummy stabbing spear. Along his side and at his neck the vultures had marked their claims. For so a glomy had slain him, lying stricken under his paw and thrusting haphazard at his chest. He had driven the spear in with all his strength and stabbed the giant to the heart. So it was the reign of the lion, of the second incarnation of you of the master, came to an end. From the knoll the bustle of preparation grew, the hacking of spears and throwing stones. None spake the name of Uglomi for fear that it might bring him. The men were going to keep together, close together, in hunting for a day or so, and their hunting was to be Uglomi. Least instead, he should come a-hunting them. But Uglomi was lying very still and silent outside the lion's lair, and Eudena squatted beside him with the ash spear all smeared with lion's blood, gripped in her hand. End of section 6